0: the squadron they called him bullets but we call him greg kelly greg kelly is on the air on the red apple podcast network
1: hey it's time for the king's speech the king's speech king charles is speaking right now for the first time as king pump up the volume this is live from london live from london pump up the volume Look at you two guys. You can't figure it out. You got all those buttons and levers. The whole world is listening to this speech right now, and I want to listen to it, too. You know what I'll do? I'll just take out my phone here, and I'll pump up the volume on the phone.
2: ...institutional principles at the heart of our nation. And wherever you may live in the United Kingdom, or in the realms and territories across the world, and whatever may be your background or beliefs, I shall endeavour to serve you with loyalty, respect and love as I have throughout my life. My life will of course change as I take up my new responsibilities. It will no longer be possible for me to give so much of my time and energies to the charities and issues for which I care so deeply. But I know this important work will go on in the trusted hands of others. This is also a time of change for my family. I count on the loving help of my darling wife, Camilla. Mm. In recognition of her own loyal public service since our marriage 17 years ago, she becomes my queen consort. I know she will bring to the demands of her new role the steadfast devotion to duty on which I have come to rely so much. As my heir, William now assumes the Scottish titles which have meant so much to me. He succeeds me as Duke of Cornwall and takes on the responsibilities for the Duchy of Cornwall, which I have undertaken for more than five decades. Today, I am proud to create him Prince of Wales, to Wissog Cymru, the country whose title I've been so greatly privileged to bear during so much of my life and duty. With Catherine beside him, our new Prince and Princess of Wales will, I know, continue to inspire and lead our national conversations, helping to bring the marginal to the centre ground where vital help can be given. I want also to express my love for Harry and Meghan as they continue to build their lives overseas. In a little over a week's time, we will come together as a nation, as a commonwealth, and indeed a global community, to lay my beloved mother to rest. In our sorrow, let us remember and draw strength from the light of her example. On behalf of all my family, I can only offer the most sincere and heartfelt thanks For your condolences and support. They mean more to me than I can ever possibly express. And to my darling Mama, as you begin your last great journey to join my dear late papa, I want simply to say this. Thank you. Thank you for your love and devotion to our family, and to the family of nations you have served so diligently all these years. May flights of angels sing thee to thy rest.
1: Wow. Well done, Charles. Very nice. King Charles, good speech, good speech. What did he call the queen? Mama? (laughs) That's fine. Papa? Mama? Um. Hey, what is that with you guys? You should have seen yourselves. You should have seen yourselves. You got all those buttons and dials and a big control board right out of the space shuttle, right out of NASA, and you're jumping around like those two guys at White Castle. It was, it was just, you know what? We should take that whole thing down. Um. We just don't need any of those buttons. They don't seem to work. Or you guys, I'm sorry, I don't want to be mean here, but how was that? It, did, it worked just fine. I have a control room in my phone. Anyway, Prince Charles, congratulations. Well, not congratulations. That seems kind of weird, right? You don't want to congratulate. Hey, did you hear that? He thanked Megan. Well, he didn't really thank them. He just sent their his uh, regards. Right, my regards to Harry and Megan as they uh, waste their time overseas. No, build their lives overseas. They're all in a church right now. What's going on? I don't know. There are a lot of moving parts here. I don't feel like I have a handle on everything that's happening. It, it, although then again, it's it, it's not as complex as it seems right now. All right, I, they've got priests moving around over there. I jo- It's not the funeral, but it looks a lot like a funeral. They're going into a big church right now, and it's, she's lying. In, what what's happening? All right, it's okay. It doesn't matter. It's all all's going to be fine. I jo- Charles is the king. Hey, by the way, he was talking about his new responsibilities. I mean, what are they exactly? I mean, really, what changes? Is his cushy life gets even cushier? Look, no disrespect, and I actually like the Royals a lot. You know why? They stand for a couple of things. They stand for uh, tradition, right? Um, Service. You know, Charles flew helicopters in the Royal Navy, and so did William. And what's his name? Harry actually went and served in Afghanistan. He actually wasn't in Afghanistan. He was in Afghanistan when that base was attacked, and they took out uh, a lot of planes. I think they were going after Harry, actually. They didn't get him. So that's that. Oh, I did see this. You know, it's too easy for Americans to make fun of the royals, and that's why basically I don't do it. Yeah, I may make a comment here or there, but I think there's a role for the royal family. I'm not one of these people who says you should not have a royal family, although I do kind of wonder about what does he do? What does— If you can't call the shots governmentally, and you're the king, you're the monarch, you're the head of state, I never really understood the relationship between him and the prime minister. I don't quite get that, but whatever. I think it's a beautiful institution. It should be preserved. And one of the things I like about it is they've not gone woke. You know, one of the reasons why Meghan came back to America with the very much whipped Harry is because she could not make that family go woke. She could not make them feel ashamed for being white and all that stuff. She could not th- – those tricks wouldn't work. So she left pretty much annoyed that it didn't work. Now, we have some wise guys on TV now because right now, the in the olden days, like five years ago, the the cool thing for conservatives would be to complain about the royal family. Ah, oh, we don't need a – and then the elites the sophisticates would honor them would talk about diana would talk about all that stuff well now it's flip flopped now the elites are like this is so colonial this is so racist why do we even bother they're all a bunch of racists and actually listen to this this is richard what's his name stengel s t e n g e l he shows up on the morning joe he is such a snob he is the worst of the i've seen this guy for a long time he ran time magazine for a For a bunch of years, which, by the way, who did they put on the cover of Time Magazine to sell Time Magazine? Diana, all the time, and Prince Charles. I found like three dozen covers of Diana. Diana gets married. Diana gets divorced. Diana's sad. Diana's happy. Diana's beautiful. Diana's dead. Ten years after Diana's dead. Always putting Diana on the cover. And listen to this guy, Virtue Signal. Now he goes with the flow. Now he's a white man and he wants to still continue to be on MSNBC. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, you say garbage like this. Cut 29.
3: I'm uh, you know, going to be the skunk at the garden party today, to use a British expression. And and I, again, I also would pay tribute to Queen Elizabeth for her unrivaled service and dedication. But it was her great, 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 great grandfather, George III, bailed from to start the United States of America. You played of her speaking in... Cape town in one thousand nine hundred and forty seven right. in south africa right. that 's the year apartheid took effect in south Africa they, That was something the British colonialism ushered in. British colonialism, which she presided over for all these years, was had a terrible effect on on much of the world it 's something that people uh, revolt from and i I have to say to the, your earlier question why why are news American news networks uh, dedicating all of this time to queen elizabeth 's funeral i think it 's a good question i mean uh, you know, I think it's something there's a weakness in the American character that still yearns for that era of hereditary privilege, which is the very thing that that we escaped from. So um, there I've made myself. The nah, the I love it. We're, okay. we're, we're,
4: we're keeping it yeah.
1: real. All right, fine. Yeah. You, you, you played the woke game there. First of all, you're a great big fat hypocrite. All right, I am looking at the scores of magazine covers. He was the managing editor at Time Magazine. And before they made him the managing editor, he was the deputy editor, he was the assistant editor. He joined in 1980. And I'm looking at all of these covers: Diana, uh, royalty versus the press. Three cheers for Charles and Diana. Let's see here. Here they come, their big American trip. Uh, Let's see here. It's over. There's the queen. uh, I'm sorry, the princess. Diana and Charles are history. But a battle royal looms over her future right there on the cover of Time magazine. And when she died, a beautiful pictorial on Time magazine's cover. Why Diana mattered. Ten years. Yet, I was I was only making that up, by the way. I only guessed that they had a ten-year anniversary. Here it is. Ten-year anniversary of Diana's death. Two big articles on the front cover. And then they have just another one. Images of 1997. And there's Diana. She was good for the magazine business, but now it's good for the Richard Stengel business to say crap like that. Oh, by the way, colonialism. You know, what we objected to was taxation without representation, all right? That's, that's the big thing. And they got rid of that, okay? They got rid of that. The big thing that um, uh, colonialism actually stood for was spreading Christianity, missionary work. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a very beautiful thing. Stengel seems to have a problem with all of it, just like so many people in the in the fake news right now. All right, are we done with this? What else? It's going to go on for a while. It's here to stay. Uh, I have this one little thing I found on an old-timey newsreel uh, about Queen Elizabeth. You know, they were all in the military. All of these guys were in the military. Let's start with the least to the most. Harry was in the military. I mentioned that. William was in the military. Uh, Charles was in the military. Uh, Andrew was in the military. Edward... He's one of the brothers, but he was also in the military. Queen Elizabeth was in the military. Yes, she was. She was a truck mechanic. Isn't that kind of wild? She was a truck mechanic. Now, where is that? I ha- uh, here we go. Cut 14.
5: Taking a driving course at a training center is Princess Elizabeth, 2nd Subaltern, ATS. She has been learning to drive and maintain all types of motor vehicles. When the training centre was visited by the King and Queen and Princess Margaret, they found Princess Elizabeth in overalls working on the engine of a Red Cross lorry. watching other girls at work the king returned and jokingly asked the princess haven't you got it mended yet
0: boy
1: that king was a real laugh riot (laughs) anyway she was in the military more than you did richard stengel richard stengel with msnbc is it time to go okay i'll be right back
0: greg Greg Kelly on the red apple podcast network wow
1: that's uh yeah 21 years later on Sunday September 11th. Today is September 9th. Everything was calm, everything was normal. What were we doing 21 years ago? Um we were just wrapping up the mayor's race actually. The primary was Tuesday September 11th, so 21 years ago today would have been Sunday. I actually remember that weekend I was working pretty hard covering that mayor's race. It was Bloomberg was running. As a Republican, the competitive race really was on the Democrat side. Who was going to be the nominee? Um, Anyway, that stuff. And then we saw what was really important. My gosh, I was there, uh, actually, shortly after the towers came down. I was in my apartment when they came down, and I got myself uh, to the office. I was working at New York One. Everybody has a story, by the way, on September 11th. This happens to be mine. I the phone rang, and I answered it, and they said, w- "Where are you?" And I said, "I don't have to be at work until three o'clock." It was my supervisor, and I was—I didn't have to come in till three that day. Usually, I was in earlier, but it was primary night. We were all going to be there till one in the morning. And they said, "No, no, planes have hit the World Trade Center. Come in right away." And I was at the—I was living in Tudor City on Forty-first Street at the time, and I looked down and I saw the smoke. Turned on the TV, and one of the towers was coming down. I still, to this day, don't know if it it was live or if I was watching a recording. And I remember yelling, screaming in anger, actually. And what did I... I was living living in a very small studio apartment. I knew immediately, I just knew it, that we were at war. What did I do? I knew it was going to be a very long day. I knew everything was different. I actually had the presence of mind to take a shower Uh, because I just knew, and I had to put on my work clothes, and I ran out of the building. Somebody else was in the elevator with me. Everybody was kind of abandoning New York City, running down the street. People were running. So I got myself, I got a cab. We talked about, you know, just the streets were kind of emptying, and a strange combination of chaos and desolation. Got myself to New York One. They gave me a car. I got a camera. I got a cameraman, and we went to St. What hospital was that? Downtown Beekman Hospital, where we had to wait for the casualties. That was my assignment. And guess what? The casualties never came. Casualties never came, of course. And um, after a while, oh, the TV was on in the waiting room and Rudy Giuliani. That's when we started to see, you know, America's mayor emerge Rudy was a great mayor in many ways, but in the waning days of his administration, he was kind of listless, a little bit all over the place. You know, he was a lame duck, and the Daily News had just done a really nasty story about him, like, you know, uh, the troubled days and nights of Rudy Giuliani or whatever it was. A lot of it was fake news, but he was kind of winding down, and then that day, that night, and the days and weeks and months after, he was the leader of the world. George W. Bush literally ran away. It was all Rudy Giuliani. He was an amazing leader. Leader. He was a leader. And part of it was, quite frankly, all of a sudden, after being a very, well, let's face it, he could be quite antagonistic, you know what I mean, when he was mayor? And you have to be. Yeah, he was kind of brash. But he spoke so beautifully and powerfully. He said the right thing at the right time in the right way. And... Brought great comfort and solace and and also managed the very evolving and complex situation of the recovery and, you know, girding for a possible another attack. It was amazing. So uh, I get myself over to Broadway. I'm like, we can't stay at this hospital. Nothing's happening. So I say, let's try to get to the site. And I'm with two people from New York. One one guy's name is Barron. I forgot the other guy. And um, we try to cross Broadway, and the cops won't let us. And then I say, let's try it again. So let's go south a couple of blocks and try to cross Broadway. They won't let anybody west of Broadway. On the third time, there was a National Guardsman, and he looks at my press pass, and it says NYPD on top of the press pass. All of them said that. So I, he finally said, NYPD, okay. And he lets us through. I didn't say I was a cop or anything like that. I didn't misrepresent myself. I showed him my credentials, and quite frankly, he misread them. (laughs) He he thought I was, I don't know what, but I got through. And a few moments later, I was at Church and Cortland Street, which is essentially the address of the World Trade Center. You know where Century 21 is? That's where I was. And it was so, it was like nuclear winter. You know, it was like the scene after a nuclear bomb goes off. And the World Trade Center, it was so odd, because I had been through that plaza many, many times. It was my parents' neighborhood. They, At that point, they had lived there for a dozen years in Battery Park City. And I could see from Century 21, where I used to shop all the time, uh, designer brands for less, you know. But I could see Battery Park City. I could see the sun. And usually it would be blocked by, you didn't see the sun when you were standing there. And then I saw some other things that I'd rather not talk about. Um, and then started to hear a horrible rumble, a roar. It was like I, Pretty... What was it like? I guess it was like a train, but not in a subway. It was like a train going through your house. It was that loud and weird. And what was it? It was World Trade Center 7 coming down, right then and there. I couldn't see it because of all the debris and the haze. So I started running away and we we started running away. We didn't know what the hell it was. And we came back and and finally I could figure out all right, it must have been a building. We're okay. And I got on the phone with New York One. I said, I'm ready to go on TV. And they said, where are you? I said, well, I'm right here in the middle of it. Like, well, what do you mean? Where are you? I said, I'm at church in Cortland Street. She says, where is that? I said, I'm telling you. I'm in the middle of this place. I'm in ground zero. And that actually was the first time anybody had used the term ground zero to apply it to uh, the World Trade Center. It was a military term that I had been familiar with and
0: i'd used before but
1: anyway that's my 9-11 story everybody's got one i'll be right back
0: greg kelly on the red apple podcast network
1: all right i'm watching the news right now new york one governor Hochul pays a visit to harlem wow governor Hochul visits harlem and meets people and shakes hands If they don't have a Lee Zeldin story right after this, I'm going to go freaking bananas. I am going to go, gosh darn it, nuts. I'm watching it. She's sitting there, standing there in her silly blue suit, you know, with that blank stare on her face, looking around, saying nothing. Oh, wait a second. She's saying something this is very much top of mind in terms of an opportunity using this outstanding educational institution to be the vehicle to transport young people. Wow. We will train them in infrastructure jobs because we knew with support of president Biden, we can do so much. Oh, and then they got this schnook named Marty Walsh. Who's Marty Walsh? Good question. He apparently is the secretary of labor. What the hell does that guy do? Promote unions, basically. Let's see here. And where's the Zeldin? Where is it? Do they are they going to talk about Zeldin? No. Oh, Kathy Hochul has thoughts about Queen Elizabeth II. What the hell does she know about the Queen? She's involved in a p- competitive race right now for election. She's acting like she's the Queen of New York. And she conducted herself with such grace and. Dignity and power. That's interesting. Hello, Zach Fink, political reporter for New York One. Are you guys going to turn it over to the other political reporter right now for something about no? How dare they? Now they go on to, wait a second, what's the next story? Errol Lewis, let's give him a chance. Political buzz. How about the political buzz about Lee Zeldin? He's surging in the polls right now. Lee Zeldin was in the Bronx yesterday talking about rising crime. He also talked about the mask mandate. I haven't seen a picture of Lee Zeldin. Did you send a reporter there? Okay. Errol Lewis is speaking right now. Zeldin addresses crime and bail reform during visit to the Bronx. Well, I'll, I'll have to say this. New York won. You're okay with me. You did the right thing. Finally. Hey, WABC, we got to be doing that too. (laughs) All right? Every time there's a Governor Hochul story, there better be a Lee Zeldin story. Oh, wait a second. They're back to showing Kathy Hochul. They showed Lee Zeldin for two seconds, and now it's back to Kathy Hochul. I heard a soundbite from Kathy Hochul. I saw Walk and Talk. Kathy Hochul met important people. And now they're just talking about Lee Zeldin. Horrific crimes. Spotlight the fact that he thinks the governor is not really doing. There's video of Zeldin again. Hey, can I hear him speak, Errol Lewis, or is it just going to be about you talking about Lee Zeldin? Because I just saw her speak. Soundbite after soundbite. Hey, what does Lee Zeldin think about the Queen? You asked Kathy Hochul. Yeah, in your own way. Okay, New York One. I give you a C, maybe a C C+. At least they're going through the motions of trying to appear fair, but they're not fair. That's not fair. I got my eye on you. Wow. Wait, can you turn the volume up on New York One? I you. Well, if we couldn't get the King's speech, maybe we can get Channel One. No. All right, I guess not. Um, light race part. If you look at the individual parts of the city and you throw into the mix the wild card of turnout, again, it's all Errol Lewis giving his opinion and his analysis. I want to hear from Lee Zeldin. Actually, I really do want to hear from Lee Zeldin. Can we do anything else about Lee Zeldin? I think we should. I I, I just I do find this a little bit crazy. They're showing Errol Lewis again talking about how Lee Zeldin is talking about crime, but they're not showing Lee Zeldin and we're not hearing from him. Lee Zeldin is a Republican congressman from Long Island. And you know what? Get me something that he said. Please. What? You got what? What do you got? What? What? What are you talking about? Lee Zeldin addresses crime bill. Well, let him address it. Yeah, I'm still mad at you, New York one. Quite frankly, my 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 doubts were well placed. Do me a favor. This was at what time? One thirty, and now they're on back to the Queen, wall to wall Queen stuff. That is a very interesting. Uh, what do you want to call it? A dichotomy, if you will. Right? Uh, Kathy Hochul. They we hear from Kathy Hochul about this, that, and the other thing. We hear from her friend. And then we have some political analysts just tell us what he thinks of the chances of Lee Zeldin. And get, being that it's New York 1, they don't think it's much of a chance. Well, there are some good people there at New York 1, but it's pretty biased. I'm sorry, it is. And they're not tough. They're not tough on the administration. They really should be. And now, Errol Lewis has stuff to say about Queen Elizabeth. I don't like the way that's run. I don't like the way it's run at all. Hey, Find that report so everybody can see what the hell I was just talking about. All right. Benny in Harlem. Yes. How you doing? Good. Hello? You're on the air? Hey, listen. I got a
6: story for you about 9-11. You ready? Um,
1: You remember
6: the car? I'm not not ready yet. Hold
1: on. All right.
6: What? I, I had car lots in Fort Lauderdale, right? And cell phone stores, right? And... You know the, the four guys that got on the plane and drove it. and they learned in Fort Lauderdale how to fly. Well, they brought that little red car to our lot, right? What? Wait, what? Yes. What, what did Fort Lauderdale
1: have to do with anything? That's where they trained at. Well, I know about the ones on the East Coast and the one in San Diego. I don't know anything about Fort. Oh wait, Fort Lauderdale. You're right. All right, keep going. So what happened? I'm trying. To, yeah, listen to me. I, I listen to you every day. Listen all right, well, tell you, we'll calm, do me a favor. Calm down and take it from the top, all right, because you sounded like you started midway through this thing.
6: All right, from the top. When I was in Fort Lauderdale, we had a car lot, and we had cell phone stores, okay? And the guys, Hobbes and those guys that drove the second plane and the first plane into the tower, they came to our lot about a week before that happened, and they had a little red vega they wanted to sell. My partner. A little red what? A little red Vega, like a Chevy Vega. Okay. Every little four door, right? And they wanted 500 for it, but my partner only wanted to give him 300 for them. I told him, listen, let's take it in for 500 We slap some paint on it, put some new tires on it, and we can sell it for 1000 bucks." He said, no, I don't want that car. I don't want that car. But now, when they could, without the car, two guys were on the street walking back and forth, smoking cigarettes real heavy, looking around. And the other two guys dealt with us. They got in the car, and they said, "Where could we go next?" I said, "Go up the street. There you might uh, pay less. Uh, the Payless car place. That was the name of the, the, the franchise. Payless." They went there. They gave them, I think, seven hundred for the car. A week later, the FBI showed up at our place looking for that car. We told them go up the street. They went up the street, and they got the car. They had it for two weeks. They gave it back to Payless, and Payless put it on the market. It sold for two hundred thirty thousand dollars.
0: Wait a second.
1: They put it on the market. What? What? It was a special yes. car because the hijackers had it. Correct. A museum bought it. What museum? what museum? I don't remember, but you can look it up, though. That's pretty wild.
6: Yes. Yes. Did you? And crazy. you? So you
1: talked to these guys, huh? Do you remember which one? Was it Mohammed Atta?
6: There was the the one that drove the second one into the thing. The second guy.
1: Yeah, I don't remember. Mohammed Atta was, was the first I, one. I don't know about the second one. Well, I don't know who's the second one. Let me ask you this. Uh, was he weird? Uh, was he weird? Very. The, the eyes were Hunter.
6: You know what I'm saying? You know, like a Hunter's eyes, very sharp focus.
1: <clears throat> Did you get suspicious about anything else? Yeah.
6: Well, I, it, it, it was suspicious that two guys were smoking cigarettes walking up and down on the street in front of our place because nobody ever walks over there. This is on uh, 441, right before uh, Boulevard of Champions.
1: And you told the FBI everything, of course, right? Right. We never took the car. We told, look, go look up the street. That's all we could say. Yeah, yeah. We're not we're not gonna play
6: we're not gonna play games with those guys. You know that.
1: No, 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 no. I mean, I I, yeah. Just to recap, you told the FBI what where to go. What? But
6: then when we found out they got the car back and they sold it for two hundred and some odd thousand dollars, I looked at my partner. I'm not gonna mention no names. And I said to him, I said, "See, had you given him five hundred dollars?" We'd have made a ten thousand percent
1: profit. All right. Actually, I got to tell you one thing I don't believe about this story. Not that you're fooling us, but I don't think anybody paid two hundred thirty thousand dollars for some Chevy Vega that the that the hijackers had. I don't believe that. I think somebody. Now I'll look. No, I, I'll look I, I I don't believe it. You guys can look it up, right? Look it up. I don't see that. Now Why would anybody pay? Other than some lunatic? No museum. You know these new museums are foundations. They're nonprofits. They can't do that. That has no. Historical significance when you think about it. This is the used car that Muhammad Atta may have sat in once. I don't see why anybody would be ooing and eyeing over that. What would you do? What would the thing say on the museum? What would it say? That's the only. I'm not saying you're fooling me, pal. I'm just saying somebody is not being on the level about that part of the story. Anyway, Benny, that's interesting. What are you doing now? Where are you? I'm in
6: Harlem right now. Take, and make sure my niece and nephews go to school and get A's in class.
1: Hey, that's wonderful. Hey, by the way, what's the crime situation like up there right now? Well, to be honest with you,
6: man, some of these people are nuts and crazy. They don't they don't love themselves, and they don't know what to do with themselves, and they're brainwashed, period. You know it. I know it. I listen to you every day. You know they're brainwashed. You know,
1: they're brainwashed for evil. Up, Uptown and downtown, by the way, all over this country, you know what I think a big part of it is? The weed, the marijuana, it is so commonplace right now, and I think that will suck your soul away if you're not careful. Have you noticed it? Yes, I have, especially in the young ones. They're very docile. Yeah, and now it's essentially it's it's essentially legalized, and it's it's terrible. Hey, Benny, thanks a lot. Interesting story. Keep in touch. Um, hey, Joe Biden is speaking right now. Do we care? No, we don't. <laughs> no, do. We? Oh, it was just a soundbite. Um, Hey, you know who's going to be here in a little bit? David Limbaugh, brother of Rush. David Limbaugh has become a good friend. He is a great Christian. His latest book is The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. Um, David Limbaugh, so knowledgeable about, about all things radio, all things Rush, all things political. He's a lawyer, and he is, a most importantly, a tremendous Christian, and I've learned a lot from from him. Um, he has a new book, as I mentioned. Uh, we'll talk about that. Oh, his daughter's going to be here as well, Kristen Limbaugh. Um, beautiful. Wow. I would love to make a book with my daughter one day. Right. What, what, what did he do today? We we went over um, what did we go over? She wanted to see donuts, a variety of colors. She wanted to see a blue donut. Then she wanted to see a, a red donut. And it's really cool. I could just Google these things and show her, and she just kept on wanting to see donuts. It's amazing what fascinates. They're so beautiful, right? And she's getting along with her sister. She's getting along with her sister, which I like a lot. Mike in Colmack. Yes, sir.
6: Um, Craig, uh, Wednesday night when I was watching uh, Newsmax, about five minutes into your program, they decided to take the signal away.
1: Okay. Man, I am hearing about this all the time. All the time. I'm getting reports about... Going to commercial break, the, the the show crashing. I don't know what the hell is going on. It's starting to worry me. The ratings are, um, you know, not what they were when I was on earlier. We're building back up because now we're at 10 o'clock and a lot of people don't even know that yet. But I've heard this before, pal, and it, uh, I don't get it. See, I'm looking at New York One right now, the channel that seems to favor Kathy Hochul. And they're showing an engine from one of the planes in the museum. That I can understand. But some old Chevy Vega that somebody drove, I can't understand that. Pamela in Central Jersey, you got something to say about that?
4: Oh, sure. A museum would buy that. The Bonnie and Clyde car is in uh, Las Vegas, I think, in a museum.
1: No, the Bonnie and Clyde car, that was the getaway car. It's a bit more pertinent to Bonnie and Clyde. Some used car that they use, like it. No, 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 no museum would have that. What museum would have that? I don't believe it. And also, what museum would pay $230,000 for it? I, I, no, I, I don't buy it. I don't Bragging buy it it a, a bit.
4: bit about that. But, um, uh, but somebody piecing the whole thing together, there are some people who would want to maybe do a documentary you or know,
1: whatever. Uh, or, and you know what you do? A documentar- documentary, a documentary. Those guys are the poorest guys in the world. They're not going to spend $230,000 on a car. They're going to rent a similar car. It might not even that be sim. I mean, no. No, 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 no. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. There's one other thing. You know what? I would like to see actually OJ's Bronco. I would love to see OJ's Bronco. Now, that would be worth something. In fact, people have paid serious money. That's changed hands a couple of times over the years. Hey, who's that speaking at Saint Paul's Cathedral? It looks like Baron Trump, but it's not. It's not. You know, it looks like Baron Trump, but it's not. It's uh, it's some priest. All right, I gotta take one more as I get ready for David Limbaugh. Uh, John in Staten Island, yes.
7: Hey, uh, <clears throat> um, sorry, Mister Kelly. Uh, my my point I wanted to make uh, just before Curtis was talking about the uh, golf tournament being played in New York. And with, going back to this uh, 9-11 papers, when Obama was in charge, he never released them. You have all the progressive and the leftists calling for Trump to release the papers. He didn't. Now we have uh, the cohort that was appointed by Obama, who was president. And why won't he release the Saudi papers? He wants the Saudi Arabia to get oil. but come he doesn't release these Saudi papers if there's damage uh, against the Saudi Arabian government?
1: Well, you got to remember one thing and people forget this. Saudi Arabia is our friend. We are we have a good relationship with that government. Yes, I know 19 of the hijackers or 17 of the hijackers were born in Saudi Arabia. Osama bin Laden was born in Saudi Arabia. Um but you know, this is America. Ted Bundy was born in America. Um <laughs> I mean we it doesn't it's not really it's not the Saudi government's fault. I don't think it is. Now, I understand that there were stages where they were not as cooperative as they could have been, that kind of thing. Any government wants to put their best foot forward. Oh, we weren't responsible. I do not believe that the the King Fahd or MBS or MSB or whatever his name, none of those people wanted 9-11 to happen. None of them. So, hey, our government, have we put forward all the papers regarding the Kennedy assassination? All of them? No. So I'm not I'm not that um, worked up about it. Maybe I should be, but I'm not. Sorry. Uh, I I just remember they are our allies. The thing I'm really worked up about is blowing off Afghanistan the way we did. Now that that was unforgivable,
0: really, man.
1: All right, give me a moment, please.
0: Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Wow.
1: Who's that announcer? He is pretty intense. Of course, though, it's 21 years since 9-11, and uh, it'll always be uh, a significant day. But, you know, the further we get away from it, our people—I remember after 9-11, I wondered, how long will it be before September 11th is not on the front page of a newspaper? And I think it was about a year and a half. It was about a year and a half, and um, that's how long it took. Um. Like Pearl Harbor, some have mentioned, you know, Pearl Harbor at one point. I remember as a kid, Pearl Harbor Day was still a big deal, but then it kind of faded away. And December 7th, these days, people don't really, but I don't think that's going to happen in our lifetime. It's a very important day. We will remember nearly 3,000 people were lost. What a wake-up call for for the world. Hey, you know who's uh, the darling of the mainstream news? And it's fine. They have their favorites, but it's kind of amusing why this guy is their favorite. The Secretary of the Treasury, Pete Buttigieg, I'll give anybody who calls in right now who can name any secretary of the transportation in the history of secretaries of the transportation. And I'll give you. uh, I'm not going to give you anything, but um, I mean, who can come up with that? Right. Who knows one secretary of transportation? Has a secretary of transportation ever been on the Johnny Carson show or now the Jimmy Fallon show? No, but for some reason, some reason, Pete Boot edge, edge, the Secretary of Transportation, is on all the shows all the time. He's on that CBS show, James Corden, who thankfully is finally going to go away for a little while. Anyway, listen to this. Cut uh, 20.
3: How is everyone at home? How are they getting on? How did you celebrate this monumental first birthday? Oh, we're
1: doing great. So we have uh, twins, uh, our, our son, Joseph, we call him Gus, our daughter, Penelope. They just turned one year old and uh, it's just the best, the best thing in the world. Woo! What? Why would they? Have, oh, I, I just, I have a, nobody, nobody does that. It's all fake. Secretary of Transportation is not a big deal. It's even less of a big deal that he has a one year old twin or twins. Right. I don't think that's a hooting and hollering uh, late night TV thing. But they're all over this guy. They're worshipping him. Let's look at what comes next. Listen to the host, the British guy on American TV. Why do we always do that, by the way? Anyway. Here he is uh, interviewing uh, Secretary Pete Edge, cut 21.
2: I would really, really love it if you were the president of the United States one day. I think it'd be absolutely brilliant.
6: Very kind. I really would. I've always felt it. I think it would be great.
1: Wow brought him all the way there to Hollywood to tell him you should be president of the United States someday. So why why this fascination with uh the Secretary of Transportation? Well, let's see if we can figure this out. He's gay. That's it. He's gay. That is it. End of beginning and end of story, he's gay. Now, I don't care. Nobody in the real world cares. That doesn't shock us anymore, all right? Everybody has a gay cousin. Everybody, you know, you may be gay. It doesn't matter. Nobody talks about that anymore. It's not. It's just not a thing. Now, what? How do I prove that? What do you mean? What, why, how do you know he's gay? Well, everything he's ever said. I'm sure it came up in that interview. Actually, I'm gay. He says it all the time, and political reporters wrote about it all the time. I showed you last night on the Newsmax show, a thousand different articles when he ran for president. As the South Bend mayor, mayor of South Bend, some podunk town in Indiana, he had the nerve to run for president. You know what? Smart guy. He knew that if he was, um, you know, a straight white male mayor of South Bend, nobody would care. But a gay... White male. Ma- oh, boy. Yes, sir. So, y'all, tell us more. Tell us about that story coming out. What was it like to be gay in school? What was it like to be gay in graduate school? What was it like to be gay when you worked at that company? What is it like to be gay when you're mayor? What was your first date like? What what, all of that stuff that made him a superstar on the campaign trail? That's it. I don't care. You don't. You know who cares? Gay political reporters, quite frankly. A lot of them happen to be gay. That's fine, but to make such a big deal about it, and write about it, and write about it, and write about it, and put them on you. T- so, uh, I'm not impressed with the supply chain issues. I'm not impressed with the transportation. Have you tried to fly somewhere lately? Although I did have a recently a very pleasant experience on JetBlue. Everything was fine, and the TSA guys were great. But I've seen the news. There are all kinds of issues. Hey, what's with the new theme song? Well. Did anybody think to run that by me? I don't like this. Thank you. I'll be right back.
0: Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, I think
1: uh, we've been talking about royalty. This is radio royalty. Radio royalty. I don't think it's an exaggeration. David Limbaugh. David Limbaugh, you saw him host for many years, uh, The Rush Limbaugh Show, you know his books, he's written about Christianity, he has a new book, but David Limbaugh, brother of Rush, and uh, in his own right, a fantastic lawyer, an expert on all things radio, a great presenter, and he's here with his daughter, Kristen. Kristen, welcome to you both, and uh, the new book, The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament, but first of all, hey, Good to see you, David. How are you? Good
7: to see you, Greg. Thanks for having us on. Thank
1: and Chris- you so much. Kristen, um, wow. Are you, uh, you wrote a book with your dad.
8: Yes, yes. It's been a wonderful experience, and I was thrilled when dad asked me about a year and a half ago if I'd be interested. Um, it's a dream come true for me to be a published author, and to do it with dad has um, been a real blessing. What
1: do your brothers and sisters think, and why didn't you ask them? <laughs> I don't like them as much. <laughs> yeah, they're obviously
8: I'm <laughs> they're a favorite failures. child. Yeah, <laughs> they're failures. No, they they actually were, were all—they're um, all so so supportive and were very excited for me as well. They're all younger, too, so they have to agree with me. I'm the well, bossy older sister.
1: Well, a couple of years ago, a book like this, I would not have uh, given it any thought. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I have been late to the game, uh, and now Christianity is extremely important to me. It is the most important thing, and my listeners know that.
7: David, has it always been like that for you? No, I came kicking and screaming in my mid thirties as a skeptic, and uh, I chronicled my faith journey in my first Christian book called "Jesus on Trial," which I'm not trying to promote, by the way. I'm trying to promote this one, but but uh, and it, it, you know it was uh, my faith journey plus an apologetic, you know, a kind of explanation of the reasons that I came to believe. And for somebody out there who is skeptical
1: or who is just living in the world. I mean the world the world has been trying to cancel Jesus, cancel yep, Christianity, yep, yep, and sometimes it seems like they're winning.
7: It does. Um, I'll give you an ironic or paradoxical response to this. I actually think one of the things that reinforced my faith more than not more than anything but as much as anything was the pervasiveness of evil in this world. I don't think there's any way to explain it. Apart from the biblical worldview. <clears throat> and we're, we're living in spiritual warfare, Greg. We now know that the, the the left, which controls the Democratic Party, is not just grudgingly accepting evil, but championing evil. <clears throat> they are turning their distorting language. They're, to them, uh, inclusivity means excluding conservatives and censoring mm-hmm. conservatives. Right is wrong, wrong is right. Murdering babies is glorified. Um, Opening the borders, which they deny they do, opening the borders uh, and letting thugs, terrorists, along with good people, but those people, and then a hundred thousand deaths from fentanyl every year, and then denying they do it, denying that they're, and don't even address it. And it's by the way, it's not incompetence; it's intentional, very intentional. And uh, so there's all kinds of existential threats to the United States as founded. And all they do is drive a wedge on the basis of identity politics, and it's really hurting race relations and gender relations and the rest.
1: And this is, uh, gosh, there's an antidote to just about every single woe we have, in my opinion, and it's Christianity. And so few people are willing to talk about it. They're even bashful to bring it up. Hey, before that, Kristen, um, I'm sensing you're not even 30 years old.
8: I'm 29, thank you. <laughs> um
1: and you know, you heard from your dad he had doubts all the way into his 30s. Me, I just got straightened out for the most part, you know, working on it uh in my late 40s. Which
8: is amazing.
1: Well, I and what I'm trying to say is, how did you get it, how did you get it figured out so young? Seriously.
8: Uh well, because I have wonderful god-fearing parents um who brought me up I I actually had the luxury of never doubting my, what, that my faith is what is the truth because my dad always hammered home, um, the arguments that can defend Christianity as the way and the truth, the the one truth. Um, and my mom was the prayer warrior of our family. So every night as a little girl, she would say the Lord's prayer for us. And, um, she, has had a deeply experiential faith and um, told us a story of how Mm -hmm. an angel, she believes an angel actually saved her life as a little girl. And so the stories like that and my dad's um, tutelage and the, the knowledge aspect of why the Bible is the truth um, helped me. But I went to college and, um, you know, I was in a sorority, so I, I had a little bit of a wayward season. Um, nothing too crazy, but I, I did have um, a couple years there where I wasn't questioning my faith, but I, um, I was, I wasn't putting God at the focus of my life, and I, I was feeling so depressed and so empty, and I was kind of hoping that finding the right you know, boyfriend would fill that void or having the perfect career would fill that void. And none of those things were making me happy. And um, it wasn't until I had a girlfriend here in the city that I was interning with. um, We went to lunch one day and she was just sparkling. I mean, she just had this zest for life about her. And I said, you've changed since the last time I saw you. You know, what's going on with you? I thought she had a new boyfriend or something. She goes, no, Kristen, I, Jesus has really opened my eyes to to the love and the grace that he has for me. And I found myself so jealous of her relationship with, with Jesus. So I asked her how this happened. She um gave me a few devotionals, some books. And for the first time that summer I really felt that God was speaking directly to me through the Bible, through these devotionals. And um he has taken me on a journey since then. That was probably about eight years ago and Really miraculous things have happened in my life since I opened my heart to him in that way.
1: Wow! And you know the journey. It's interesting because as you were talking, I could almost feel it. Some people out there thinking, "Oh boy, this doesn't sound like much fun." You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, this is, right. <laughs> but the in my own life, and I think all of you as well. Once I started getting clued into the truth, that's when life actually started to get really interesting. Mm-hmm. that's when it started to get fun in a way i never could have comprehended um it's a journey isn't it
7: it's a journey yeah and once you're once you're converted to christianity or so-called reborn born again uh you're saved for salvation purposes you're declared righteous for purposes of salvation but you still Mm -hmm. sin And, and and you're still a sinner but you have the holy spirit uh indwelling you so you're empowered to overcome sin on a daily basis uh but you do it through the power of the holy spirit you're never sin-free until you die and uh, are reunited with Jesus. But, I mean, I'm just giving you a Christian doctrine. I'm not acting like some expert. And uh, so that's that's what it is. But it, it, like you say, we're all works in progress.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and your brother, by the way, spoke very boldly about this, especially in his, I guess, last two years. Yes. Uh, did he get his start here at WABC in some respects? Yes.
7: Yeah. Well, he actually started in Sacramento, and and then Ed McLaughlin uh, discovered him and, and syndicated him on fifty six or fifty seven stations initially. One of which was WABC. That was the flagship. So Rush came up here uh, from Sacramento and did a two hour local show. That was the condition. I think Ed traded out. You know, the, we're going to get. We'll give you two hours in exchange for you running his syndicated two hours. So he had a grueling. Imagine four hours. Well, you you I you already do this <laughs> kind of thing, but. What I would hate about that is having to study local New York news and, and play that game. You, you know, but he did it. You know, he's a brilliant, quick study. And so he did that for however long until, he, you know, the the, the shows, the, the stations exploded. And in no time, I don't know how short, 600 or whatever. And so he was all over and he, he I, uh, eventually dropped the, the New York local show. But, yeah, he he – but you're right. In the last two years, he never talked about his faith much. But that's when one of the glories of Christianity. We, Through our struggles, we sometimes come closer to God, and that's what happened to him. And it was a great, <clears throat> was a great thing to happen. God uses uh, evil for good sometimes, and cancer is an evil. <clears throat> and it brought him closer, and he was so grateful to God. And and he expressed that on his on his show all the time, and it was a cool thing to see. Mm-hmm. Our uh, our listeners, I know, um, miss him a lot.
1: They uh, they 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 still obviously talk about him. He pivotal. What was your what was your relationship like with your uncle?
8: Um, uncle Rush was just so generous uh, my whole life, and he also was. You know, I like to think of him. He was known for his words, but he loved through his actions because. I remember once in high school, I was the lead in my first musical, and he actually flew in and surprised me and to Cape Girardeau, Missouri, which is the town where um, I grew up and where he and dad grew up, and I just couldn't believe that he took time out of his busy schedule to come see me in a, in a musical. Another time, um, dad was bringing my, me and my sisters to New York City for the first time, and um, Uncle Rush was living in Florida at the time, but he flew in to I guess, was it this studio? WABC.
7: Don't ask me. I have brain I remember, damage. I don't remember but, uh, these. Stories. Uh, it was the New York any...
8: station, and um, and he surprised us in studio there as well. So um, he always took an interest in me and my siblings. He, um, my younger sister Courtney, has always um, been passionate about filmmaking. He bought her this special um, software so that she could be the best um,
7: editor. I editor. Think. Yeah,
8: yeah. Um. And and he always spoke to us like we were adults. You know, he wanted us to understand um, why America was great. And he, um, you know, would have dinners and we visited him with um, important people. But he always allowed us to be there and to just kind of sit in. And that was so beneficial for us.
1: Well, folks, I... um I love talking to you, but i got to introduce something unpleasant. It's a voice from the fake
8: news.
1: (laughs) His name is Joe Scarborough. I've been presented this twice today, so I think I should run it by you, Joe Scarborough, who uh, says he's a Christian, and he brought up Jesus in, I think, a pretty offensive way. It was this morning on the MSNBC Morning Joe show.
9: Let's go ahead and hear this, please just say as a southern baptist wow. i grew up reading the bible maybe a backslidden baptist but i still know the bible jesus never once talked about abortion never once and it was happening back in ancient times it was happening during his time never once mentioned that for people perverting the gospel of jesus christ down to one issue it's heresy Go. If you don't believe me, if that makes you angry, why don't you do something you haven't done in a long time? Open the Bible. Open the New Testament. Read the red letters. You won't see it there. And yet there are people who are using Jesus as a shield to make 10-year-old rape girls go through a living and breathing hell here on Earth. They've also conveniently overlooked the parts... Of the New Testament, where Jesus talks about taking care of the needy, taking care of those who are helpless, who live a hopeless life, because they believe, these state legislators believe, that life begins at fertilization and ends at childbirth. And, Caddy, what a powerful message yesterday from a. Su-
1: All right. Uh, let me start. Uh, I find him to be a disgusting animal. <laughs> I The way he—the contempt and the way you expressed, the way faith came to you, Christian, in part, that woman was exuding it, and you wanted to know more about it. For this guy to use it as a weapon as and as a wedge,
7: I find totally offensive. But David, please. Uh, yeah, I don't have my blood pressure, Madison, here. But, <laughs> but, but he— He's part of the hateful left. You know, the left accuses us. It's part of their propaganda of being hateful and intolerant. They are the most intolerant, hateful people. Think about what he just said. Think of Biden's speech with the demons behind him. <clears throat> this, is, this is sick stuff. We're in, we're in the midst of a spiritual war. I don't even know if Scarborough realizes he's a pawn of evil. And, and sorry, Joe. <clears throat> uh, you used to be a man of principle, I think. Oh, maybe you were faking it at the time. But... <clears throat> The Christianity, you don't have... Of course, the Bible doesn't uh, address every single solitary issue, but it celebrates life. And I, I knew you when I formed you in the womb. G- Jesus, the God of the Bible, created us, mankind, knowing we would fall, <clears throat> and that when we fell, the only way to redeem us would be to send his son to to die, become a human being, which is... Imagine how, uh, how how... Uh, tough that would be, a perfect God becoming man, so he's fully man and fully God, uh, how degrading that is, so that he could live among us, die for our sins, so we could be reunited with him upon our saving faith in him, and then live with him in eternity. God created us knowing that he would have to send his son and and go through all that suffering. Contrast the bliss the Holy Trinity experienced in eternity past with what Christ experienced when he lived on earth and got spit on, tortured, and ultimately crucified. Imagine the the suffering that the father went through by allowing his son to go through in the Holy Spirit. So Joe Scarborough talks about the Bible not addressing abortion specifically. There are verses that, that hint at it, at the value of life, uh, and we all know the Bible celebrates life, and he's intellectually and morally dishonest because the, the thrust of the Bible is to celebrate human life, and and for him to say he's basically saying that that uh, the 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 woman the, the rights of a woman are more important. And and by the way, most of this is a false choice. The the people that uh, that say you compare a life versus the so-called convenience of the mother, they they act like it's the defense of the mother's life. It almost never is. So
1: Joe is out to lunch as usual, Uh, (laughs) actually more so today. Do me a favor,
0: stand by. You guys got a few more minutes.
1: We'll be right right back.
0: Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
1: Oh, yeah, 21 years ago, Sunday was September 11th. Do you guys remember where you were on 9-11?
7: i do david
1: limbaugh we're with david limbaugh and his daughter Kristen. they just wrote a a book it's called the resurrected jesus the church in the new testament talk about the book specifically in just a moment but yeah where were you on
7: 9-11 i was working i I was at work but we had a tv there and when when all this alarm went off not alarm but when all everybody was yelling about it we went and watched it and saw the second one yeah second tower unbelievable where were you?
8: I was in 3rd grade in my classroom and my teacher brought in a TV and um the principal came in. He actually had some wrong information and said that the White House had been struck. So, yeah, it was a terrible day.
1: It was so wild and uh so terrible, but uh we did come back um and uh well, and Jesus comes back, the resurrected
7: Jesus. Yes. Wow. Why this book? Why now? Uh what's it all about, David? Okay, the last book was about the was Covered the book of Acts and false six the Apostle Paul's first six epistles. This book uh, covers Paul's final seven epistles. Four of them were called prison epistles because he wrote them while imprisoned in Rome, um, and the other three for, were the pastoral epistles that he wrote to his colleagues, his fellow evangelists that who were under studies of him his. But the, the the reason is the reason we're covering these books is because they're next in line. I want to cover all the New Testament books eventually uh, but the significance of these books, some of these books in is that the early church was committing heresies, just like today, you have people inside the church trying to dilute the gospel, uh preach a false gospel, and you you have syncretism where you combine that of the the other face in with Christianity. Christianity mm-hmm. is itself the true religion, according to the Christian doctrine, according to what we believe. And so Paul was trying to weed out these heretics and saying, get back to doctrine or the religion will implode in its incipiency.
1: Now, some of the uh, heresies, though, when I was looking through it, I mean, their heresy to me is, and I think this happened, you know, a stepmother hooking up with the stepson. You know, I mean, that kind of stuff happens. <laughs>
8: yes, yes. And
1: it's actually addressed at one point in the Bible. These, some of the heresies are a bit more technical. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like a lot of Christians would be like, is that a heresy or not? Like, is do we consider Jesus a human or or not? Well,
7: that, now that, let me address that because mm-hmm. my, my pastor <clears throat> made a a good point, a helpful, a clarifying point about heresies. A lot of the cults and a lot of the heresies in the early church and still are one of two things. Christian doctrine is Jesus is fully God and fully man, 100% both, not 50% one, 50% the other. He will always be a human forevermore. And that's so interesting because that's what enables us to relate to him. You know, the, the God, the God the Father is invisible, and nobody can see God. I mean, you, you, that's throughout the Scripture. But we can actually see God, or the people living on earth when he lived, saw God through Jesus because he's the exact image of the Father. And so they could see the, the, God, God, the God-man, Jesus Christ. So the heresies either fall in one or two places usually. They either reject God's humanity... Because, for example, the Gnostics believed that material matter was evil, so Jesus couldn't really have been a man; it was an illusion. He didn't really die on the cross. Well, you can see how that totally blasphemes. That is so right to the core because without the cross, there is no Christianity. He, without the suffering, there is no Christian. There's no redemption of mankind. Or you deny God's, uh, the, Jesus's divinity. With denying his divinity, divinity, he couldn't have lived a sinless life, and his death wouldn't have had the power to save us. One. Human to save all humans who believed in him? No, one God man, that totally balances the equation.
1: Kristen, who is this book for? Like, if you're a new Christian, and I consider myself still a new Christian. I mean, I really started connecting the dots in 2016, 17, 18.
8: Wonderful.
1: Uh, I have a lot of learning left to do. We all do. Um, yes, it's kind of complex. The Bible. <laughs> Where. Should they start? Should they start with this book? I mean, I think you should start with this book. You should buy it. But where else? The Bible? This? What?
8: Yes. Um, well, I to answer your question, I think that this, this book is for people who are skeptics about Christianity and for Christians who want to deepen their faith. Because um, I think something we offer are prayers that accompany the Scriptures that can help you have a personal relationship with the Scripture, which is God's Word. Um, but really, we're trying to point people back to the Bible because that is the Word of God, and that's how God speaks into our lives the most clearly. So we hope that this book piques people's interests.
1: Great things happen when you do that. Uh, the Resurrected Jesus by David Limbaugh and Kristen, Lim- uh, Kristen Limbaugh Bloom. Sorry to your uh, husband there. Thank you both.
7: <laughs> it wasn't blurbed by Joe Scarborough, oddly enough. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks both. Thank um, you for, for having you so We'll be right back.
4: Traffic jams, tailgating,
0: Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
1: Uh, Wasn't that great? Radio royalty, David Limbaugh and his beautiful daughter, Kristen Limbaugh Bloom. Again, the book is The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. Boy, oh boy, did he give it to uh, that Chuck Scarborough really good, huh? And that guy deserves it. You know, who are these people? I can't stand that guy. And to see him with his, uh, who's that person? His his, his consort, whatever, Mika, uh, that situation. Hey, September 11th, 2022, 21 years since that day. And uh, we got to remember the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, we're doing an event with them on the 25th. We're actually running through the, the tunnel uh just like steven siller did on that day on 911 with all of his equipment on running to save people his life was lost that day we remember him we're going to be raising money uh for wounded veterans and uh, all kinds of other useful causes uh you can go and run with us all the information is on the website and uh tunnel to town Ta- go to t2t.org t2t.org it's all pretty much uh right there uh, this queen uh, departure is going to last for ten days. Ten days. So nine to go. Um, that's all right. We're not. Uh, we're not complaining. Uh, are we? No, we're not. Right? Okay, we're not. We're not. Of course not. Um, oh, here's another test. I'm sorry to do this, but uh, okay. New York one is again doing that Kathy Hochul story, and I have a feeling. I have a feeling. Can you put throw on New York one now? You're, you, whenever I say New York one or can you do it or not? All right, no problem. So they asked Kathy Hochul for her thoughts on everything, her thoughts on Harlem, her thoughts on uh, the Queen, her thoughts on this, her thoughts on that. I'm very curious in the second hour, are they going to have Lee Zeldin say something? And I'm pretty sure at this point they they kind of have to. It's a campaign. It's a competitive campaign. Hey, we got to remember that around here, too, by the way. All right. Every time Kathy Hochul is mentioned, we got to talk about Lee Zeldin twice as much. Uh, Yep, what they're doing is they're just repeating the whole thing. Now they're going to have a conversation about Lee Zeldin without actually letting us hear from Lee Zeldin. That's the way they roll, but it's better than nothing. Um, Hey, I can be pretty tough on people, and you just heard me have that conversation about Christianity, and I have wrestled with this, and, and here's where I am. Um I love everybody but I don't have to like everybody. I really do. Um I love everybody. I love Joe Biden. I love uh I I want the best for all of us. But that guy needs help. He needs big time help. And uh we all have our roles to play. And uh I'm not going to hold back. I am um no, and I think this is well within the parameters. In the Bible there is a big time place for the public square. Absolutely. Do we agree? And I think the Queen would agree with me. Where is she? Uh, hey, cut four. This is when she welcomed Donald Trump to the to the palace. Cut four.
2: Mr. President, I'm delighted to welcome you and Mrs. Trump to Buckingham Palace this evening. Just 12 months after our first meeting at Windsor. Visits by American presidents always remind us of the close and long-standing friendship between the United Kingdom and the United States. And I'm so glad that we have another opportunity to demonstrate the immense importance that both our countries attach to our relationship.
1: Well, she's being a bit perfunctory there, but that's all right. She always knew uh, protocol and goods. Hey, so it's no longer Prince Charles. It's King Charles. King Charles. King Charles, the second or third? Third? Third. Uh,
2: What does he sound like? Is he different as king? Cut 30. Throughout her life, Her Majesty the Queen, my beloved mother, was an inspiration, an example to me and to all my family. And we owe her the most heartfelt debt any family could owe to their mother. For her love, affection, guidance, understanding, and example.
1: Love. For her love. Even for a British accent. That's like extra British. That's like extra hoity-toity. Even over there, they're like, whoa, listen to that guy. Uh, let's see. Ooh, he mentions Megan. He mentions Megan. Uh... In a complimentary way, does he diss her? Let's listen. Cut 40.
2: I want also to express my love for Harry and Meghan as they continue to build their lives overseas. Mm, That's it, huh?
1: Goodbye and good luck. Now, he expressed his love, and I think that's great. Meghan is feeling like a big jerk right now. She totally misplayed this. She's such a selfish person. I'm sorry. A pretty good actress, though. I'm watching that show, Suits. Very interesting. A lot of fun to watch. Um, Yeah, this is still of interest to us. This is still of interest to us. And I make no apologies. Oh, and here's King Charles. You know, she was a big Christian, and we appreciate that, especially here, me. Um, Last cut, 42. King, King Charles!
2: And to my darling Mama, as you begin your last great journey, To join my dear late papa, I want simply to say this. Thank you. Thank you for your love and devotion to our family and to the family of nations you have served so diligently all these years. May flights of angels sing thee to thy rest.
1: Oh, that's very beautiful. Very beautiful. Even the part where he called her "mama," you know. If at my mother's, gosh, I can't, I can't even think about my mother's funeral. I hope it. I, I hope I die before her. Well, no, I don't. That would be <laughs> oh, jeez, how do I? She would not want that. All right, I hope she dies when she's one hundred and ten, and I'm eighty uh, something, and I'm uh, giving the eulogy. I'm not going to call her "mommy" under any circumstances, even though that's what I call her. Jacqueline from Brooklyn, you have a problem with any of this? No problem at all, Greg.
4: Um, I want to thank you for always uh, speaking about your faith and for not shying away from that and to bring that out into the open and into the public. And that was a great interview that you had uh, with David Limbaugh and his daughter Kristen. Um, It's interesting. I just watched a program last night with uh, Rabbi um, uh, Jonathan Kahn. And he was talking about how what we're experiencing now in society around the world all goes back to ancient times, before the Gospels. And this is what David was talking about. Um, When we open the door up for evil and for the gods to come into society, they come in and, and they possess society. Um, When you talk about transgender and everything that's going on, it all goes back to this one goddess called Ishtar. Uh, There's a lot of symbolism involved. The rainbow has to do with it because the rainbow actually symbolizes God, so they use the rainbow to mock God. Um, The period of time, going back to ancient times, was Junio or June. Now you have an entire month that's dedicated to gay pride and uh, everything rainbow, There is no other celebration, no other memorial in any of the world that celebrates an occasion for an entire month. This is the only one throughout history. We've never had this before. And this is a clear symbol that the goddesses and their evil spirits have returned and they've infiltrated civilization. And the only way to counter them? is through the Gospels, and to proclaim Jesus, God, whatever your uh, worship is, whether you're Jewish or Christian. Society was based on Judeo-Christian beliefs, and that's the only way to conquer it, and that's exactly what David was talking about.
1: Well, listen, uh, I agree with just about everything you said, and uh, guess what? There's no contest, no contest whatsoever. If you, me, And millions, tens of millions, billions of others start embracing this, uh, the ultimate power, our Judeo-Christian values and faith, speaking about them, learning about them, uh, you know, both in private and public. We've been uh, shamed somehow. You're not supposed to talk about that in public. You're not supposed to. Are you kidding me? Oh, nobody wants to be a Bible thumper. You know, that used to be me, quite frankly. All right. And here I am. Here I am talking about what a alcoholic jerk I was until I found God. I mean, it just changed everything for me and I still uh and there I've got a ways to go and I'm enjoying the journey so much. So much peace, so much everything is available. Everything is available to us through the Bible. So, Jacqueline, I thank you very very much and um uh, good stuff. Good stuff indeed. Um, yeah, David Limbaugh. But, you know, here's the thing. Also, I never would have met that guy had I not been on this journey with Christ. I'd never, never, ever. No way. I would have been rotting away, rotting away, chasing skirts, drinking booze, just doing stupid stuff all the time. I'd probably be dead by now. I really would. Carmine in Long Island. How are you?
5: Greg, listen. God is going to raise you up as a John the Baptist. I've been, I, I just been praying for you, Greg. And I just keep getting—you're a modern day John the Baptist, Greg. God, you have a calling on your life, and you know your listeners may not like it. You may go. I enjoyed that interview so much right now, and you have got a calling on your life, Greg. And I want you to understand how important that is. It, um, it, it is. We. You are a voice of one calling in the dark, and you're not ashamed, and you know where you were, and you know where you are now, and I am just, I wanted to tell you that. I, I, I just can't get that out of my head until I tell you, you, I want to encourage you, you are being raised up, Greg, that you are, John the Baptist was in the, the wilderness until he learned the precepts of God, and when the time was right, he became public with his ministry, and you, you keep saying you're a baby Christian. You have so much potential, Greg. Uh, you and you know what? I sent you that book. And if you're not getting that book, Greg, what else are you not getting? I want you to have that book. All right, all
1: covers. right, Carmine. Thank you very much, John the Baptist. Wow, me? Come on, I got. Anyway, listen. Thank you so much. Uh, and I look. I feel. I feel great. I mean, you know, you're right. I. I'm not gonna. You know, I'm not gonna have false modesty here. I am so honored and blessed. And I I don't want to let him down. I don't want to let God down. And I gotta, I just uh, got to keep on moving forward and, and learning more and sharing it. I am going to find that book, Carmine. I am going to find it. I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. I got a big stack of mail. There aren't too many Carmines, so I'm going to find it. I'm sorry I haven't found it already. Uh, I'm sure it got to me somewhere. I got, um, all right, so I'm going to get that. Thank you, sir, very, very much. And with that, I gotta take a break. And a bow. I got people looking at me like, okay, what's <gasps> people are looking at me a little bit different around here. I don't know. I can't tell if it's good or bad. what's are you guys okay? Are you okay? All right, all right. Give me a moment.
0: Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
1: Uh Hello. <laughs> what, what am I supposed Gosh, that guy's so intense. Yikes. Anyway, I mean, uh, 9-11. I talked about where I was. I was down there at 4 o'clock the afternoon when World Trade Center 7 came down. I think about a couple of people on 9-11. I think of Neil Levin, the chairman of the Port Authority who died that day. I interviewed him two months before. It was in July, I'm pretty sure. Went to, And his headquarters, his office was in the World Trade Center. I remember going to the World Trade and You had to get an ID. You know, they take a picture of you, and uh, they take a picture of you, and you get this little ID. And that wasn't really done back then. And I kept it. There was something about that. And also, I looked pretty good in the picture. They actually took a picture of you, and they put it on a little plastic card, and you kept it with you. And uh, I just – I don't know. Something about it. I wanted to keep it. My brother said that morning he was on the Long Island Railroad, and the guy across from him had a news day. And it's said September 11th, 2001. And my brother was like fascinated by the day. He said, what is it about that day? What is it about that day that's so important? Something about that important, that day is so important. And isn't that kind of odd, right? And actually another little premonition, the night before, I'd been covering the mayor's race for f- four months. I had just moved back to New York and it was a big campaign. And we were going to know the Democrat winner the next day and somehow i couldn't get into my head that it was going to be over i said i don't think i can't believe that this time tomorrow night we're going to know and they asked me they said what do you they asked me for a prediction and i can't remember what i said but what i wanted to say is i don't think we're going to know i think there's going to be some sort of malfunction some sort of glitch i just had that that feeling hey we want to wish our very very best to steve bannon The America First guy who was uh, helpful during the campaign in 2016 for Donald Trump didn't quite work out at the office uh, in the White House. He was a bit of a leaker. That's what they said. But eh, whatever. People get seduced by the fake news. I think he's a good guy. He was, I believe, falsely accused of malfeasance and all kinds of stuff with that building the wall project. There was a private foundation that was raising money. Trump gave him a pardon. And now Alvin Bragg has locked him up. But he was basically being perp walked. And this is a very, he inspired me. Here's a guy going to jail and he's inspiring me. Listen to this. Cut 17.
9: For every conservative, this is what happens in the last days
3: of the dying regime. They will never shut me up. They'll have to kill me first. I have not yet begun to fight.
1: Good for him. Good for him. They want to, they, You can't beat a man like that. So Steve Bannon wishing you the very, very best. They have been harassing him, and I think it's all because of his association with Donald Trump. They want to take him down. Hey, remember this. Why do they want to take him down? Well, Donald Trump threatened to expose the entire game. I told you guys the other day I'm reading the new Jared Kushner book, and he consults with Henry Kissinger, and Henry Kissinger tells him, If you want to get anything done, you must not go to the State Department. They are a bunch of bureaucrats, and uh, you will never get anything done. He was right. He was right. And Donald Trump had their number. Let me see here. Listen to what This is Donald Trump as president. Uh, Cut 16.
8: And, one, yeah, for you. Sure. and, and uh, one thing,
9: uh, Secretary of State Pompeo is extremely busy. So if you have any question for him right now, could you do that? Because you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to him to go back to the State Department or, as they call it, the Deep State Department. You know not I'd like to have him go back and uh, do his job. So does anybody have any question? The Deep
1: State Department. The Deep State. Can you imagine that, though? If you want to get something done, if you want to establish peace in the Middle East, you really want to make a contribution? Do not go through the State Department. They'll sabotage it. They're only about their own jobs and their own power, nothing else. That's crazy. That's crazy. Bruno in Lido Beach. Yes, sir.
0: How you doing, Greg? Excuse me. That was my father's uh, name, Mr. Saul Carmine. He was a little wound up. Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I went 12 years of Catholic school uh, and spent a lifetime of Hail Mary's and our father's You know, Greg, excuse me, Uh, I knew seven people who died 9-11 from Oceanside Rockville Center. I volunteered three weeks later, a day I'll never forget, the people I met. Conversations, I shook Rudy Giuliani's hand, and Giuliani, and I'll tell you what, never forget people, and you'll always be a Marine like my coach from high school, you'll always be a Marine. You'll always be a Marine, and you know what, people, red, white, and blue. I don't celebrate Juneteenth. Enough crap going on. Never forget nine eleven. Thanks a lot, Greg. Thanks very much. You
1: got it, Bruno. Thank you. Thank you very much. Jim in uh, Ohio, what's up?
0: No, uh, ass in New York, Greg. Upstate New York.
1: Oh, so what's
0: up? Not much. Uh, just like you're talking about your faith. Um, the guy's story with the Vega, there's a lot of holes in that story, man. First of all, there was no four-door Vegas. These guys had Saudi money. They weren't driving old Vegas. And how would the FBI even know that they brought the Vega to that used place, used car place to sell it? You know what I mean? There's a lot of holes in that guy's story with the Vega. Well,
1: I don't think he was telling us a fib. I think uh, somebody visited him. He thought it was the FBI, and they asked questions about a car. Uh, as for the rest of it, who knows? Who knows? Uh, but, yeah, I was I was skeptical. I, I think he's a good character, Benny. I just think something happened, but I don't buy some of it, and I think he may have been misinformed. Anything else?
0: City, yeah. I used to work in the city doing the trade shows. Actually, we had a show coming in. We were supposed to do a show when nine eleven happened. Yeah. And uh, they com- they commandeered the Javits as a uh, morgue, and they had all uh, body bags. Oh, there. I remember that. Down.
1: Yeah, I remember that. That was uh, that was so, wild. So, so, so. Hey, Jim, I got to take one more call because I got to go across the street. Uh, Sharon is in Westport. Yes.
4: Hi, hi, Greg. Uh, yeah, on the subject of Joe Scarborough. Uh, saying that there's no addressing of abortion in the Bible. It's in the Ten Commandments, Joe. Thou yeah. shalt not
1: kill. I love it. I love it. You're totally right. My goodness gracious, what a what a piece of work that guy was, huh? Eesh, nobody likes him, and nobody likes his uh, that Mika, the sidekick. I mean, I wish them well. Thank you. Hey, what's Westport like? Is it really—oh, she's gone. Is that really fancy? Isn't that where Paul Newman lived? Paul Newman and Joanne lived up in Westport, and uh, what's the big deal about Paul Newman's Rolex watch? I never really could understand that. He had a watch, and he gave it to his daughter's boyfriend, and somehow, for some reason, this is the most expensive watch in the world now. It's worth like $80 million. It's the hottest watch out there. It's called the Paul Newman Daytona, and I've seen it, and I just don't get it. Have you seen the new Apple Watch? Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, I don't want a watch that I'm going to have to update and buy a new one every two years or one year. Somehow, you know, they made a... Would you like it if you wore a Rolex? And then Rolex comes out with a watch they say, you know, renders your old Rolex obsolete. Nobody wants to play that game. They got us on this silly artificial treadmill. I refuse to get on it. I really do. I'm not buying any of that junk anymore, Okay. I'd rather, I I saw somebody, what did they put on Instagram? They said, I'd rather use a notebook and light my house with candles rather than Google run my life. Huh? I think there's something to that, you know? I mean, big tech, big tech, big jerks. All right. Have a great weekend. I'll see you tonight on the Newsmax show. I'll be plugging away across the street. I'll see you later.